What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. Oh, baby. What is up, Buffalo Fanatics? Z-Bot here with you. Live on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel on a Monday night. So good to have you in. 56 days until Buffalo Bills football. That's right, folks. 56 days. Eight weeks from tonight. Pretty much right down to the minute. The Buffalo Bills will gear up at MetLife Stadium to take on the New Jersey Jets on Monday Night Football in week one. We are getting... Oh, so close. Every week I join you, we're one step closer. Eight more smoke breaks, including tonight. Actually, no, seven more smoke breaks, including tonight. And the Buffalo Bills will be back in action. Oh, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. I cannot wait. I know you can't wait, too. So good to have you in tonight on a Monday night. And we got a lot to cover, including, finally, DeAndre Hopkins finding a new home. Not the one I think many of us would have predicted. Not the one I would have chose if I were him. But a new home, nonetheless, for DeAndre Hopkins. And no, it is not our Buffalo Bills. Was hoping that potentially one of these random days here before the season started, we would have the opportunity to talk about DeAndre Hopkins becoming a Buffalo Bill. But that is not the case. He is, however, joining the AFC, rejoining the AFC uh, after his brief stint in the NFC with the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about that tonight. We'll also talk about the quarterback series on Netflix. Just finished up that or getting close to finishing, I think. I think I have an episode left, maybe. I grinded that thing out, talk a little bit about that tonight, what we learned from all three quarterbacks in that series, including our arch nemesis, Patrick Mahomes, who Talked a lot about the rivalry with the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen in that series. Thought it was a really cool, uh, it was really cool to be able to see behind the curtain what goes in each week to the preparation for all these guys. But more, you know, above all, mostly Patrick Mahomes because obviously Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota. <laughs> that's the that's the stake right there on the on the on the on the entree and. The lucky thing for us when watching that series is that the Bills played both the Chiefs and the and the Vikings, and you got a little uh, little behind-the-scenes look at both of the games in which both those teams uh, played the Bills. So it was a really cool uh, peek behind the curtain there, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. We will also talk about Saquon Barkley, Jonathan, or excuse me, Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, the inability to get a long-term contract done at the running back position by the deadline today at 4 p.m., in the overall state of the running back position, it continues to fall further and further down the NFL totem pole. And today was a perfect example of why, even though at times when we go into the draft like we did this past year, the year prior, when we are constantly clamoring for a potential new running back in Buffalo, it's days like today that make you realize that it's just ultimately not worth it for both parties. And nobody ever seems to wind up getting out of that situation satisfied. Perfect example today with the New York Giants and Saquon Barkley. Uh, and then we will also talk about 
maybe the biggest rumor, I guess, coming out of Buffalo the last week since it's been as slow as it could possibly be. I mean, this is peak slowness, right? But it's always the calm before the storm, right? Like I said, we have eight weeks. This is the calmest it's going to be before we get into the football season. The Bills start camp, not this week like some other teams, but next week. The biggest thing I think that came out of Buffalo, at least in my opinion, this past week was the potential rumor or the potential tease, you could say, of the Red Helmets returning. We have yet to get official word. We have yet to see anything concrete, but that was making its way around social media last week. It's all of a sudden quiet now. Is that going to be happening? I'll give you my thoughts on that later on in the show. Like I said, so good to have you guys in tonight. And I know, listen, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I, I always want to preface how appreciative I am of you guys joining me during this slow time because you know as well as I, we are just starving right now. We're starving. And you continue to just look down the pipeline every week, no matter what you got going every week, right? You kind of blink, and the week's done, and the one silver lining to the summer kind of flying by here, at least in my opinion. Every time I seem to blink, there's another week in the books, and I go on Twitter and I see one of those hype posts where it's, you know, 10 weeks till commercial-free football, nine weeks till commercial-free football. Now we're, now we're down to eight. Next thing you know, it's going to be here. So one of the things that we thought might never come to fruition, but finally did, DeAndre Hopkins finding a new team. This was well back into April, was it, that we were wondering where and when DeAndre Hopkins was going to sign with a new team. It had become inevitable that the Arizona Cardinals were going to move off of DeAndre Hopkins. It just became a question of where was he going to go? What was his priority uh, as far as what he was going to get out of the next team? That really came to the forefront after the Cardinals cut DeAndre Hopkins. We didn't know whether or not he was going to be dealt before the trade or before the uh, before the draft. I mean, I remember going into the draft, my top priority of the night or one of them was seeing where DeAndre Hopkins was going to go and is was he going to come to Buffalo? And think about it. Think about how long ago the draft feels like right now. That was nearly three months ago, the draft, which that in itself is an insane realization. But it was nearly three months ago that we were sitting in this very same situation. Me on one side of your screen, you on the other, talking about DeAndre Hopkins and his potential to go to Buffalo. And it was at that time where it felt like a legitimate possibility. And that was when the rumors were flying like crazy. Everybody and their mother who was online and a Bills fan was talking about the possibility of DeAndre Hopkins coming to Buffalo. We had almost spoken into reality at that point. We were so certain that the Bills were right in the mix, had a chance. Many of us, including myself, really thought it was going to happen. Then no trade gets made at all going into the draft. Time goes by. You get into late May. The Arizona Cardinals cut DeAndre Hopkins. Then another two months almost goes by where he does not decide on a new team. And it became more and more evident as time went on. The Bills were just not going to be the person, or the team rather, in this supposed race to come out with DeAndre Hopkins. The reason for that, the longer time went on here, the more you realized DeAndre Hopkins was looking for more money than a team like the Bills 
a team like the Chiefs, a team that is a top-tier contender for a championship, was willing to pay. And as time went on, it became more of a, will he go to the Patriots type situation? Will he go to this team? Whatever. It had felt to me like DeAndre Hopkins, based on what he was saying, if you remember, he came out and talked about the quarterbacks he'd like to play with. And you look at his history here. It had seemed to me, why wouldn't DeAndre Hopkins, a, a wide receiver of his caliber, why would he not want to go to a team and contend for a championship or hell, contend for a playoff spot? Because if you look at his career and the teams that he has been on, yes, DeAndre Hopkins in, uh, in my lifetime has been one of the better wide receivers. But team success-wise, not even close. Brief stint with Deshaun Watson in Houston, beat the Bills in the playoffs. They were never able to get quite over the hump. Obviously, Deshaun Watson and that whole situation, that comes crumbling down, and D-Hop was out of there before that mess even happened. And then you look at the Arizona Cardinals situation. He goes to Arizona, it seemed at that time, after they had moved on, uh, after they had moved on from Z uh, Josh Rosen and redrafted another quarterback at one overall in Kyler Murray. They bring in J.J. Watt. They bring in DeAndre Hopkins. It felt as though at that time, he had made a right decision. DeAndre Hopkins looked like he was joining a team that was going to be a contender in the NFC for the foreseeable future. And we had quickly realized that that is far from the case. The Arizona Cardinals, could, you could argue now, going into the 2023 NFL season, are one of the worst teams in the NFL. So he obviously leaves there. He, left, he leaves a dumpster fire or right before it kind of really became a dumpster fire in Houston. You kind of look at the track record of these past two couple of seasons, and it makes you wonder what DeAndre Hopkins is actually in search of. And if he's leaving those two situations, a conclusion you could come to would be, wouldn't he want to go to a situation that's better than those two? Wouldn't he want to go to a situation this late in his career where he is playing with a top quarterback, where he is playing on a team that at the very bare minimum has playoff aspirations, the ability to get there, the ability to win a playoff game? The way I looked at it, that's what I thought we would get out of the out of the De DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know how to describe it. The checklist, if you will, he was kind of leading us down that path. Obviously, any player would like to get as much money as possible. And after you saw what Odell Beckham Jr. signed for in Baltimore, you do understand where DeAndre Hopkins is coming from. I look at DeAndre Hopkins as a better wide receiver right now than Odell Beckham Jr. with less of an injury history. I would expect to try to get the same amount of money, if not more, than Odell Beckham Jr. did. But, hey, OBJ, OBJ he pulled off the deal of the year. The ability to get the amount of money that he got from Baltimore while still being able to go to Baltimore, a team that when healthy is one of the best teams in the AFC. When Lamar Jackson is healthy with their wide receiver core back healthy, who was completely obliterated last year due to injury, getting their running back situation back in order from injury. You look at the Baltimore Ravens with the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. That's a team that nobody wants any part of when healthy in the AFC. So you look at DeAndre Hopkins' situation, and you would think, okay, why wouldn't he try to line up something similar, maybe a bit less, and go to a team with similar aspirations, 
like the Baltimore Ravens. When this all came out, when I saw DeAndre Hopkins initially get out of Arizona, like I said, my initial thought was, after what this guy has done in his career, just based on his personal statistics, his personal accomplishments, you would would think a legacy like that in the making would want to be capped off in such a way that you leave going into the sunset. In in doing that, in pursuit of doing that, you have to be on a team currently that is either ascending or has been on the upward climb for some time now. That's why the Chiefs made sense. That's why the Bills made sense. It was thrown out there. I never thought it was a possibility just based on what they currently have on the roster, but that's why the Eagles, of course, would make sense. There's so many teams that make sense. But the team he winds up with today, the Tennessee Titans, in my opinion, from his perspective, from the perspective of the Tennessee Titans, really from the perspective of everything but DeAndre Hopkins' wallet, this signing makes no sense to me. He had held out for this long and finally strikes a deal with Tennessee. Quite clearly, we see when that deal gets inked yesterday, that priority numero uno, and there wasn't a close priority number two, was the amount of money that DeAndre Hopkins was going to be making. And he wound up getting the most possible money that any team was going to offer him from the Tennessee Titans. If we go and look at it, DeAndre Hopkins strikes a two-year, $26 million deal. Now let's talk about this real quick from the perspective of the Tennessee Titans. And I'll give you my quick thoughts on how I perceive the Tennessee Titans currently. And it's amazing how quickly a year can change really your entire outlook on a team. I'll give you a, I'll give you an example. You know, going into last year, I had assumed that with Doug Peterson, with another year under Trevor Lawrence's belt, without a clown of a coach in Urban Meyer, that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to be good. And when I say good, they were going to be better than they were the year prior, and that's not saying a whole hell of a lot. I assumed last year a team like Jacksonville, just based on the situation, was going to be better. And, of course, they were. But I didn't look at Jacksonville going into last year as a threat. I looked at them as a team that was going to be ascending and I thought would be better just based on the situation. However, going into this year, I look at Jacksonville, their situation, their division, their upward trend, and how they look to end the year last year, I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars as an absolute threat this season in the AFC. You go from one year ago being a team that had a coach that was one of the most storied and successful college coaches in the last two decades, absolutely peter out unlike we've seen before in one year, completely embarrassed that organization and himself within the span of a season, Ruin the rookie year of one of the greatest prospects of all time. You reshuffle the deck. You get Doug Peterson. You sign some valuable free agents for bottom dollar money. Guys that weren't having the best success in other places but still had potential, right? Evan Ingram, Zay Jones. Hell, Evan Ingram just today or yesterday wasn't signed a long-term deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was a team that looked like they were getting the right pieces in order, but it just didn't seem like it was going to happen that quick. I thought they'd be better. I sure as hell didn't think they'd be a team eliminating 
a 20-plus point comeback in a playoff game against Justin Herbert and going on to win the, win the ball game. That's not what I envision. And you go into this season, just based on the trajectory they were on last year going into the playoffs, ending the playoffs, I mean, they gave the Chiefs all they could handle. They gave the Chiefs all they could handle. And I think going into this year, another year with Doug Peterson in that system, another year with Trevor Lawrence under him, the division that's probably unarguably the weakest in the AFC, that's a team you look at just in one season that goes from, many would argue, a wreck to an absolute contender in this coming year's AFC playoff picture. The Tennessee Titans last year going into the season is the opposite example. They had just come off being the number one seed in the AFC. And that in itself was a shock. But when you do look back at what they were able to accomplish, it was always sneaky good. They never had the star power in which the Bills did, the Bengals did, the Chiefs did. So when the Titans would win or when the Titans would, you know, put together the season that they did, it just never seemed as though they were one seed caliber until they were. Derrick Henry is that offense with pieces surrounding him that are, you know, subpar, above average, if you will. But with the way that they were able to go through the season, kind of sneaking under the radar, they steal that one seed, and they get into the playoffs with the only buy. So when we go into the season last year and the Bills have them week two, you realize, hey, look, whether you want to believe it or not, the Tennessee Titans were the one seed a year prior. They had beaten the Buffalo Bills. They were a team that had gotten the better of the Buffalo Bills the last couple of seasons. You looked at that team and you thought, listen, we cannot sleep on the Tennessee Titans in the AFC. Certainly the Buffalo Bills, they have had their fair share of problems going up against those Tennessee Titans. And so you go into week two after laying down the hammer on the L.A. Rams, another team who you had high expectations for last year coming off of a Super Bowl victory. You lay the hammer down on the L.A. Rams, and you go into the Titans game, and the, the, the last thing on your mind with the Titans is what you had saw a year prior. Bills absolutely destroy Tennessee. Just wax Tennessee. At that point, you're thinking that win is way better than it actually wound up being. You fast forward the rest of the year, Tennessee can't figure out anything. Derrick Henry gets injured. Ryan Tannehill gets injured. The quarterback situation's in complete flux. A.J. Brown no longer on that team. They made some very head-scratching decisions at the wide receiver, um, at the wide receiver position. Moving on from A.J. Brown, drafting Traylon Burks, who it, that in itself just never seemed to make sense. Mike Vrabel never seemed to have been on board with it. That seemed like an upper management decision that he never was in agreement with, and you can just tell by his body language when it went down. That was a team last year that had kind of erased the overall perception, at least that I had, of who they were in this ever-growing, ever-dominant AFC. Going into this current season in 2023, how many times have you thought going into 2023 here, as you look at the Bills' schedule, as you look at the potential playoff picture in the AFC, how many times have you said to yourself, now I got to put the Titans in there? I haven't once. I haven't considered the Tennessee Titans to be a playoff team this coming season once. Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals, Kansas City Chiefs, and Aaron Rodgers-led New York Jets. One of the best wide receiver cores in the league with a more than competent quarterback when healthy Miami Dolphins. A Jacksonville Jaguars team who I just spoke on. 
a Denver Broncos team who now has Sean Payton leading the way, resurging potentially a phenomenal quarterback in Russell Wilson. Get them back on track. They're right there. A healthy Baltimore Ravens. You list off all these teams. Where in God's name are you penciling in the Tennessee Titans to be in playoff contention this coming season? And that's why at this given moment, I do not understand from both perspectives, both the Tennessee Titans perspective and the Andre Hopkins perspective, I don't understand the sign. Now, obviously, I do understand it from the financial aspect, at least for DeAndre Hopkins. And he made that quite clear. Going into the swan song of his career here, he wanted to get paid. And I can't blame him. And I will never blame any player in this league for wanting to get paid. We have been conditioned to root against that when it's, when it's against our best interest. Obviously, we love seeing guys get paid that deserve it. But when, ultimately, when it comes down to a situation that affects our team, whether or not the Bills would be able to pay him, et cetera, you're not necessarily rooting for that. And oftentimes, these guys throughout their careers, if you're not a quarterback or if you're not in a situation where you're, you're restructuring the market or whatever else, you probably feel at times like you're getting underpaid. Now, I don't know the financials surrounding the entire, the entire career of DeAndre Hopkins, but I definitely feel as though he was not underpaid. With that said, however, the window here to play is very short. DeAndre Hopkins' time left in the NFL is not very long, and I get it. You want to cash out before you get out of here. And I will never fault a player or anybody, for that matter, for taking care of themselves first because this game is very unapologetic organizations are very unapologetic. You needed no better example than what the Live Tour wound up doing with the PGA and that partnership. The PGA had shamed every single player who went and took that Live money. They made them feel like the worst possible human beings on the planet. Just a a year later, turn around and get in bed with the Live Tour and say, oh, we didn't mean what we said. Sorry, now you have to play for Live. The organization, 99.99% of the time, does not care about the better interest of the player. We're conditioned to think they do, but when it gets down to brass tacks and when it gets down to the bottom line, the organization's always going to do what's best for them. And you have to understand that. It's a business at the end of the day. But you also have to understand that from the player perspective. It's a business for them just as much as it is for the franchise they play for. So I understand DeAndre Hopkins wanting to go and get the money. What I don't understand is how when we were going through the three, four months of speculation there, how he would come out and talk about the the quarterbacks he wanted to play for, the quarterbacks that he felt would be the best to suit up with on on any given Sunday. And it just felt that we were being strung along on a list of teams that were going to be contenders. And it felt as though if DeAndre Hopkins went to one of those teams, that team definitely is elevated on the offensive end. Either team that you that you look at right now, or any team that you look at right now at the top of the list of the NFL landscape, DeAndre Hopkins immediately adds one game, I'd say, a one-game margin to the left side of the win-loss column. You add DeAndre Hopkins to the Bills, you're adding one more win to their record this year if you're doing your predictions. You add him to the Chiefs, you're, you're giving them one more win. You add him to the Bengals, you're giving them one more win. Any team. But that's a team that's currently set up right now to be able to utilize what DeAndre Hopkins is giving you. 
And what I and what I think that is is a incredibly viable wide receiver too. DeAndre Hopkins now goes into a Tennessee Titans situation where he's immediately wide receiver one until Traylon Burks proves that he is one. And so far, he hasn't. From the Tennessee Titans standpoint, it, it truly makes no sense what they're doing. They're half in, they're half out. Derrick Henry, I love him. He's, he's, he'll go down as one of the best running backs I had the privilege to watch throughout my young life here. And we'll, we'll, remember DeAndre, we'll, we'll remember Derrick Henry as one of the last running backs to play the game in the style in which he does. There really isn't anybody else like him right now in the league as is. And when, De, when, when Derrick Henry's done, that type of running back at that success level is essentially going to be done as well. That team is built around Derrick Henry. Find me any other team in the league worth a damn that's built around a running back. Hell, that's why I can't understand today why the New York Giants didn't just bite the bullet and overpay for Saquon Barkley. That team's not built around Daniel Jones. You're kidding yourself if you think that it is. The financials might tell you that it is. Right? But my God, you know damn well the New York Giants are not built currently around Daniel Jones. That team's success rate goes as far as what Saquon Barkley does. And that's why the Giants are a borderline playoff team. They'll be on a wild card fringe again this year. They'll never be a contender or a Super Bowl contender until that team gets significantly better. Right now, the only reason that they are a threat to anybody is because Saquon Barkley and what he offers to that offense and the wrinkles that he that he uh, instills into that offense that allows them to be more successful than they truly are on paper. The Tennessee Titans are the ultimate example of that. Without Derrick Henry, what are the Tennessee Titans? They're the New England Patriots. Maybe a little bit better. Realistically, what are the what are the Tennessee Titans without Derrick Henry? They threaten nobody. And you go into this season with Ryan Tannehill fresh off the injury. It, they've made it very clear that the, the Ryan Tannehill days are done. So you thought. Looks damn well certain right now that he'll be the starter coming into 2023, but that's not the Titans' ideal situation. They've gone through numerous quarterback draft picks now. None of them seem to be panning out. Rumor co- Under my head, I think my headphones died. If you can still hear me, let me know in the chat because I can't hear myself. Anyhow, the interesting situation is when you look at that particular situation currently for the, for the Tennessee Titans, they draft Will Levis. The rumor coming out of camp right now is that Will Levis, he might not even be quarterback two on the depth chart. They have Will Levis currently listed at third with Malik Willis at second. And the rumor coming out of the situation surrounding the quarterback position in Tennessee is that Will Levis, he's lucky he even makes the team. Malik Willis is outplaying Will Levis currently in Tennessee. The future at the quarterback position is bleak. Now, I understand DeAndre Hopkins only has a two-year situation going on in Tennessee, but do you want to spend your final two years of your career, potentially, getting balls thrown to you from Ryan Tannehill? I'm sorry. I understand the financials of it. I totally do. But at the same time, if that were me, I'd have to find the best of both worlds. And in my opinion, the best of both worlds is not getting the money while simultaneously ending my career. Getting the ball thrown to me, 
from Ryan Tannehill in an offense that's not even predicated on the passing game. You look around the league right now, how many teams can you confidently say are not revolved around their quarterback that are successful? I can think of maybe one, the San Francisco 49ers. And they are the ultimate outlier because, one, Kyle Shanahan's one of the best offensive coaches in some time. Two, they have elite-level talent all over the field. They have the best defense in the league. They have one of the best tight ends in the league. They have one of the best two-way players in the league in Debo Samuel. And, of course, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league. They're the ultimate outlier. DeAndre Hopkins yesterday signs up to go to a team with an aging often injury quarterback who's on his way out of the league with a team that's in decline and a wide receiver room where he in his veteran presence is now wide receiver one. How the Tennessee Titans got into this situation to begin with blows my mind. And it just goes to show you how bad, how badly the Titans screwed up their, their, their wide receiver room. This, this move yesterday goes to show you just how badly that A.J. Brown debacle really was. You're going to pay DeAndre Hopkins $26 million for two years, but you couldn't rework a deal with A.J. Brown to keep him on the team a decade younger and a better wide receiver at this current moment. You ship him off, and what does he do but go and be a intricate part of a Super Bowl run for the Philadelphia Eagles. So right now, what are the Tennessee Titans going into this year? Well, Vegas will tell you. Their win-loss total, as far as their over-under was concerned in Vegas, did not move up a single game based on the signing of DeAndre Hopkins. So what does that tell you? This move is just a whole lot of star power and nothing more than that. This does not add to the threat level, in my opinion, of the Tennessee Titans. This does not add to their ability to find themselves in the thick of things in the AFC playoff picture, in my opinion. I don't think anybody wins in this situation but DeAndre Hopkins' wallet. And that's fine. I totally understand that. I just have to wonder if you're a guy like Hopkins who's had the career that he's had, why would you want to end your career in this particular situation? And if you're the Tennessee Titans, with what you currently have going on, Derrick Henry not getting any younger, Ryan Tannehill not getting any younger, an influx wide receiver core at best, what are they trying to do? Because a move like this makes it seem like they're trying to compete for a championship. And I don't think you'd find anybody right now that would have a, a viable argument to tell you that the Tennessee Titans are a championship caliber team. See some comments coming in here saying, uh, why am I mad about DeAndre Hopkins? I'm not mad about DeAndre Hopkins at all. Would I have loved to have come to Buffalo uh, for him to come to uh, Buffalo? Absolutely. I'm not mad about it at all. I'm just asking questions here based on the whole sense surrounding it. To me, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure DeAndre Hopkins, based on the two teams that he was with prior and based on those quarterback situations that wound up falling apart, based on those two franchises that wound up falling apart, it seems like right now, based on where the Tennessee Titans were just a couple of years ago, they're more on a, on a decline than they are on an incline. And once again, he's now going into a third situation where that's what he's smack dab in the middle of, a decline. 
it's no indictment on DeAndre Hopkins. It's no indictment on anybody. And in reality, if you're a Tennessee Titans fan, I mean, you got to understand, or a Tennessee, uh, yeah, if you're a Tennessee Titans fan, you got to understand that to some degree, right? Two seasons ago, you were the one seed. Last year, a complete, a complete 180 from that. And then going into this season, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna bother with arguing here. My, my man Raven here shitting on a team for adding a star is pretty shitty. I'm not shitting on anybody. Okay, that is the furthest thing that's happening here. What I'm saying is when you kind of pull back the curtain and look at the overall move, does it make a whole lot of sense on the playing field for DeAndre Hopkins? Does it make a whole lot of sense on the playing field in the current situation that the Tennessee Titans are in? I don't. I don't particularly know. At the end of the day. All that mattered here was DeAndre Hopkins getting the money that he was looking for, and that's exactly what he got. But for the money that Tennessee uh, shelled out here, and you look back at what happened with A.J. Brown, you look at where the Tennessee Titans currently are, I just don't know if it was worth the money for them, and I don't know if this is worth the ending of a career for DeAndre Hopkins. Now, there's benefits to all of this, and that, of course, being that he did not go to the Kansas City Chiefs. He did not go to another team that right now you look at and say, if they added DeAndre Hopkins, that team is immediately a notch beyond where they already were, and where they already were was about as high as you can get. Had the Kansas City Chiefs added DeAndre Hopkins, it would have been a nightmare. And I think anybody looking on the outside, looking into the Buffalo Bills organization, if you're not a Bills fan, you would have thought the same thing. And I frankly would have felt the same way about any other team. But as it got deeper and deeper into these negotiations, as it got deeper into the reality that DeAndre Hopkins was going to wind up going more for money than he was for a ring, the threat level, at least uh, from the AFC perspective, seemed to diminish. The other team that was in contention, so to speak, was the New England Patriots, and I think this is a perfect example of how inept the New England Patriots currently are, and this is a tip of the cap to the Tennessee Titans who, listen, it wouldn't have been me who made the move, but they were the ones who felt this was best for their franchise right now, so we'll look at it from that perspective. They got the deal done. There were 31 other teams out there, plenty of which who would have wanted to take in DeAndre Hopkins, including our Buffalo Bills. But based on situations out of their control, including financials, it just wasn't going to happen. So you narrow it down to teams that are maybe on the outside looking in right now. I'm not saying the Tennessee Titans can't have a resurgence. Two years ago, they were the one seed. I'm just saying, based on how loaded the AFC is, I personally can't find an argument to get them into the playoffs currently. Then again, however, we all know how crazy the NFL is, and there will be two or three teams between the NFC and the AFC that get in that absolutely shock you. Would Tennessee be an overwhelming shock? I don't know if that's the right word, but just based on how loaded the AFC is, I think it would be a surprise of sorts. But they felt, hey, look, this is what we got going on, and this is what we're going to do in order to maintain our ability to be able to compete at that level to at least have a chance, right? The New England Patriots were the other team that were well in this mix, and it had started to become almost a certainty at times over the last couple of weeks. The Patriots were the team that were the forefront driving the car leaders to get DeAndre Hopkins, right? 
And they were also getting thrown out there being in the mix for Dalvin Cook. There were rumors going around they were going to wind up getting both. This just goes to show you the inability post-Tom Brady for the New England Patriots to, to do anything worth a damn, frankly, to get back on the right track and make a, make a monster move to be able to really turn that gear back up towards being competitive. I think going into this current season, the New England Patriots by far have the worst roster in the AFC East, and they have one of the worst rosters in the AFC when you look across that juggernaut of the landscape that I keep referring to. You look at the New England Patriots, right? A DeAndre Hopkins move would have been crucial for them. That offense, who just grossly overpaid Devontae Parker, of all people, who has one of the worst separation rates in the entire NFL, that offense would have gotten immeasurably better with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. They have not had a weapon like that since Brady, and really they haven't had a weapon like that outside of Gronk in a long time, including the era in which Tom Brady was still around. Bill Belichick's current tenure in New England, it is, it, it, it is not in a, in a state right now where you feel over, overly confident that he's going to be the coach for the long haul here. The New England Patriots have tried their best to put the Tom Brady era in the past and move on to their own thing and be able to find success with that. They have just not been able to do that. And they have failed in a numerous amount of different ways, including the inability to bring in guys in free agency and in the draft that are going to be impact players to allow them to get back into the fold. And it felt like DeAndre Hopkins, when I had heard the, the rumors going around that he was going to New England, my biggest question wasn't New England going after him. My biggest question was why would DeAndre Hopkins want to go to New England? Why would you want to end your career with one of the more strenuous and strict franchises in the league with a quarterback that is certainly unproven. We have no clue what Mac Jones is other than right now an average quarterback. You're going into a situation where the offense has been just mediocre at best. It never really made sense to me that DeAndre Hopkins personally would want to be a part of that. It made sense to me from the New England perspective. Of course he'd want they'd want DeAndre Hopkins in there. He would immediately be their number one target if he were to have signed with the New England Patriots. You look at it from the AFC East perspective and the Buffalo Bills perspective, and I think it's another feather in the cap from the standpoint of the three teams that are not the New England Patriots in the AFC East who forever longed to be in the spot in which New England was in forever. Because you look at what New England is currently, and they're just a team that is not able to do anything right. The Patriots post-Tom Brady have found a way to pretty much stay in a position where they're either moving laterally or declining ever since. They have not ticked upward, in my opinion. They have not shown any signs of a rise upward ever since. And if you want to say, okay, they still made the playoffs with Mac Jones, yeah. And they lost to the Bills in a historic fashion. One of the worst losses any team has ever suffered in the history of the NFL playoffs. If that's the silver lining of the Mac Jones, Tom Brady-less era, 
in New England, then it's damn sad. And you have to look at the New England perspective and think that they had to have been in the running here. Those rumors had to have been true. If they're going to pay Devontae Parker the amount of money they paid him, you don't think that they were going to be willing to give out some, some similar coin to DeAndre Hopkins? So I wonder, I wonder at the end of the day, what happened there to have that fizzle out? And I wonder on which side it wound up being the blame to. Never made sense to me personally that DeAndre Hopkins would want to go there. Um, I think that this move to Tennessee is a bit similar to that of the New England Patriots. But the Titans are in a weaker division. I think you are getting better quarterback play with Ryan Tannehill. And you do have potentially more support on the offensive side of the ball with a guy like Derrick Henry if he's healthy. <laughs> you look at the New, England, the New England Patriots situation. I mean, if he were to go to New England, like I said, he's immediately the offense. He's immediately the air attack. Uh, I think today in Tennessee, you could argue that is still true, but at least you do have a guy like Traylon Burks that you do draft as high as you do, and you hope turns into a bona fide wide receiver one like the guy you drafted him to be. Right now, New England doesn't have a shadow of a guy like that. And it is just felt that with New England, everything continues to either move laterally or downward. And from our personal perspective, I mean, I love to see it. This is great. How many times, I can't even tell you, this offseason I've heard that Bill Belichick's on the hot seat. This could be his last year. It's a prove-it year for Bill Belichick. These are words we never thought would be uttered in a zillion lifetimes. Now, I don't buy it. If I'm Robert Kraft, I mean, he's got to have balls the size of the planet to dump off Bill Belichick after all these years. At the same time, though, you don't become a billionaire like Robert Kraft without that type of, that type of moxie. It's not going to happen after this year, that's for sure. But I wouldn't be shocked next year if a year like if if a year like this coming year shapes out the way I think it's going to, and that's going to be a Patriots team with either a 500 or worse record and no playoff berth once again. I think if another year like that follows this coming year, what are you going to do if you're Robert Kraft? You're going to sit around in your 80s and have this be the way that you end your your time here as the owner of the New England Patriots? After all you have accomplished, being by far the greatest dynasty in the history of this sport, you're going to wind up ending your legacy on this note. I don't think he'd do that on his watch. I don't think he really gives a damn what it would take to get past this. And I think part of what it would take would be having to move off of one of the guys that is considered to be not only one of the biggest reasons for that previous success, but, of course, one of the greatest coaches in all of sports of all time. I thought this was a huge blunder by the New England Patriots. It had felt all but certain the last month or so that D-Hop was going to be a Patriot. And like I said, it didn't make much sense to me from the perspective of the player. But it made a hell of a lot of sense from the New England perspective. And I feel if they would have gotten DeAndre Hopkins, you could at least say going into this season, hey, you know what? New England is trying, man. They're trying. They're not, you know, they're not folding over. They're not waving the white flag. They still think that they have a team that's going to be able to compete, and they are going out and getting the personnel to prove that. Right now, once again, 
And this is why I say what I say about Tennessee, because I don't find Tennessee to be a bad team at all. And, and, and like I said at the top of the show, Tennessee has been one of those teams for me under the Josh Allen era that has been one of the biggest pain in our asses and one of the biggest threats to the Bills each and every year. And that's why I was trying to lay out why I think at this current moment for Tennessee, it's just more in flux than it has been in the last several seasons, and that's why a lot of this isn't quite adding up. Or at least it's not adding up to the point in which I thought it would from from both perspectives of this DeAndre Hopkins deal. I thought whatever wound up happening here was going to be mutually beneficial for both sides. I don't necessarily know if that's the case currently. These two years you're going to get out of DeAndre Hopkins here if you're Tennessee, is it going to be worth that money? Maybe. And I understand from their perspective, I do get it. I mean, you had to make a move. You were going to trot out this year with Traylon Burks being your wide receiver one. I couldn't even tell you currently who the wide receiver two would have been had they not made that move. Let's take a look here. I mean, this is the wide receiver depth chart currently for the Tennessee Titans. DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks, Nick Westbrook, Nick Westbrook, a kind. Am I saying that right? I don't even know if I'm saying that right. And then your your depth players here are a lot of guys that nobody knows. I understand having to make this move. You know, I understand Tennessee having to do it. I think you just look in hindsight here. Losing A.J. Brown the way they did and then making a move like this. And I understand the, the, the general manager situation at that time. I mean... What Tennessee had did in that current situation still to this day makes no sense to me. And it it ultimately, in the moment, felt as though uh, Vrabel was never on board with any of it. So I think this proves to you that that was never, ever the ideal situation for Tennessee. And it seemed at the time everybody knew that but Tennessee. I mean, I remember when A.J. Brown left the Titans, I, I was stoked. AJ Brown carved us up in that in that uh, in that COVID game against the Tennessee Titans. Carved us up. I mean, AJ Brown's a beast, and we saw that on full display in Philadelphia last year. I was beyond stoked to get him out of the AFC. This is now the replacement currently, while you bridge the gap until hopefully Traylon Burks becomes the guy that they drafted to essentially replace AJ Brown. Let's go to some comments here. Kay coming in here saying, remember, the Titans were the one seed. Oh, I'm well aware. I am well aware. I just look right now at what the AFC is in totality. This is just out, this is outside of even the perspective of, of being a Bills fan. The Titans, for what they are right now, based on the aging top of their offense in Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, both coming off of injuries, Based on the wide receiver locker room that, yes, it did just get better, but when you look at the wide receiver rooms throughout the AFC right now, I still don't think it stacks up. You look at the overall talent in the AFC, especially at the quarterback position, the Tennessee Titans do not come close to stacking up. The Titans will always, they're not going to just lay down. The Titans aren't going to be a team you're going to roll over or expect to, at least. They're still a very respectable team in the AFC. I'm just saying... We have to come to the realization here, and this is for you know everybody, Bills fans, any fan of any team in the AFC this year. 
we ha- we truly have no idea how this is going to pan out. You look over at, at the NFC, and you essentially could fl- flip a coin. This is how I look at it. You flip a coin in the NFC. Either the one seed is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles or the San Francisco 49ers. You choose any other team, you're going to have to have a hell of an argument for me. Maybe Dallas if you want, although in my lifetime, has Dallas ever been a team that you trust making a run in the playoffs? Hell no. And they're all of a sudden going to magically do that now? After losing Kellen Moore, after losing Dalton Schultz, one wide receiver really, bona fide wide receiver one on that team? I don't see it. So you look at the NFC, right? It is the Niners and the Eagles. It's insanely top-heavy. But you look at the AFC, and it is just absurd. I mean, I can't talk about this enough, and I still can't get over it. You look at every single AFC team and their schedule this year, it's like, you know, for the Jets, for instance, I understand Jets fans being all stoked about adding Aaron Rodgers, all stoked about the potential there. It couldn't happen at a worse time. Their schedule, brutal. The Bills' schedule, brutal. Every team coming off of either being a fringe playoff team or a, or a playoff team, any team that's right in the mix in the AFC, they're going to have to go through a gauntlet in order to not only get to the playoffs, but to get through all the way to the end. I mean, whoever gets to the Super Bowl out of the AFC, you might as well just crown them before the game starts. It is absurd. And I just look at what that currently is, and I look at what the Tennessee Titans currently are compared to that landscape, and I don't view them to be one of the eight best teams right now. But a million different things can happen, and we all know it all comes down to the health of these teams. It all comes down to the quarterback play of these teams, and if it winds up staying on par with what it's been, and what it's been has been extraordinary. The Titans 100% could be sitting around the playoff picture all the way throughout the year. But I don't look at Tennessee as one of those teams like I do, you know, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Bengals, the Ravens, the Jaguars currently. I don't look at them at that level right now. I do understand just two years ago that was a one seed. And they could at any moment get back there, but you have to wonder if that time is up. I will give the Tennessee Titans credit, though, Going into this year, it had seemed as though, based on what they have done structurally, it was not going to be a rebound year. And I think what this tells their fan base, I think this what this is what te- what this tells the NFL, what this tells that division, which is very winnable, that hey, we're still here, right? We're still the Tennessee Titans, who two years ago, right, one C, like I keep mentioning, and throughout the last couple of seasons here have been a team that nobody wants to face at any time. They have been a pain in the ass. And I said this earlier, right off the beginning of the show, I said the Titans are always that team that you just kind of forget about when it comes to their uh, talent level just because of the the lack of star power really all over the field outside of Derrick Henry, but mainly at the quarterback position. That's why you don't think about the Tennessee Titans. But it's gotten to the point now in the AFC where it's rightfully so because you just look at what you need to have at at the quarterback position and the talent level that it needs to be at in order to compete. And I think Tennessee Titans fans would tell you, you know, you go into the year, you're not making an argument that Ryan Tannehill is better than a couple of, maybe a couple other quarterbacks in the AFC at best. 
So I think you do have to give credit to Tennessee for making this move at the time in which they did because they're saying, hey, we still look at our team as one that's closer to the one seed Tennessee Titans than the team last year that kind of fizzled out mainly due to injury and a variety of other factors. Who knows? Maybe DeAndre Hopkins rekindles the flame there in Tennessee and they bounce back heavily. Like I said, we have no idea. There's going to be two or three teams in the NFL this year, either from the NFC, the AFC, or a combination of both, that are just going to shock everybody. And as I mentioned, I don't know if it's necessarily a shock if Tennessee Titans make, if the Tennessee Titans make the playoffs. But I think out of all of the other teams that you continuously think of when you think about the top of the AFC, the Titans would be a more of a they would be more of a surprise piece in that puzzle. Um, so to tie up that topic with DeAndre Hopkins, I just you know. I think we all came to the to the inevitable realization here that the money was obviously the number one priority. It kind of lets you know as a Bills fan that the Bills had to have been out on him probably since the draft, right? I mean, you look at that period of the offseason. It definitely seemed as though making a move on DeAndre Hopkins was viable. But that was because the Bills would be able to make a move in a trade, maybe free up cap space at that point, maybe give up draft capital at that point and make it happen. But once that ship sailed and once it kind of became clear that based around the, the rumors, Hopkins was asking for more money than many thought he was worth, I'm assuming the Bills have probably been out on DeAndre Hopkins since the draft. And yesterday, you kind of realize why. And coming towards the end here, I'm assuming it was probably only Tennessee, maybe New England, would love to know what wound up happening there because that really seemed like it was going to be the foregone conclusion. Right? Um, but Tennessee... Props to him. Everybody was dying to see where DeAndre Hopkins would land. Tennessee was not on my radar. Certainly not at the top of it, at least. But they go out. They get it done. DeAndre Hopkins get, gets his bag. The Titans have one more weapon to try and compete in this loaded AFC, and we'll see. Maybe that's one more team now that you weren't thinking about prior, but all of a sudden you blink and, hey, there's one more team in this mix of AFC teams that are just, you know, it's just absurd. The AFC is just insane. And the thing of it is, too, and this is just another example, and it, back to the Tennessee situation. I see we got some Titans fans in here, too, tonight, by the way. I don't mean no disrespect uh, also, by the way, when it comes to things I'm just kind of saying out of the top of my head here, like Titan Anderson saying no star power. Believe me, I understand you know, all of all of our individual teams, we go right down to the nitty-gritty and we find our guys, and I get it. You, like you said here, you got Jeffrey Simmons, you got Kevin Byard. I totally get it. I'm talking about, you know, when you're thinking about, from the offensive perspective at least, what's going to be getting it done in the AFC, what has been getting it done, you know, just a season ago, for example. When you're thinking about star power, you're thinking about typically the quarterback position. When I think star power, I think quarterback, then I immediately move to wide receiver, then I go on from there. And I think, you know, I think 
you're probably your whole fan base would be in alignment in saying when it comes to that situation, it's tough to stack up currently with what the AFC what the AFC currently ha- uh, you know currently is. And that's the crazy thing too. Sometimes I think about that with the Bills as well. That's why we wanted DeAndre Hopkins so bad in the first place. There are teams right now, Cincinnati Bengals, for example. I think you could put up, uh, you know, the Miami Dolphins, for example, the Ravens after adding OBJ. There are teams right now that have far more at their disposal offensively than the Bills seem to do. But that ultimately comes into, you know, figuring out what Dalton Kincaid could be, right? You have to find out what you have before you can make a concrete conclusion on whether or not the Bills do have that new weapon that I felt like they desperately need, and I think it was inevitable that they desperately needed. Maybe Dalton Kincaid, based on what we're hearing, based on what we're hoping, maybe he is that. But off of what we know right now and what's been out on the field, we definitely looked at the Bills, looked at the rest of the AFC, and felt this this team needs another weapon next to Stephon Diggs in order to capitalize on what Josh Allen and this offense could be if they hit their top-tier potential. Um, and that's that's coming from an offense that has been top of the towards the top of the league the last couple of seasons. That's just how good this AFC has been and is continuously getting. I mean, you look at you look at it right now, just last year, right? Aaron Rodgers was not in this conference. Sean Payton was not a coach in this conference. The Bengals were completely, or excuse me, the the Ravens were completely decimated at the injury position or at the, uh, on the, on the injury list. All of a sudden, you know, a year later, those are three teams right there that are immediately back into the picture. Not to mention all the other little intricacies here and there that'll come about throughout the year. So, Once again, the AFC adds yet another piece to what I think is going to be the most star-studded, competitive, and must-see TV type conference that this team or this this league has ever had. This is as loaded up as a conference has ever been. And it's going to be an extraordinarily fun watch this entire year. Right? I mean. You look at the Bills' schedule. I got it up right here. It's, I got it as my wallpaper here. Uh, I mean, you look at it. Maybe maybe two games you look at and say meh, and they're on. And they're honestly two games back to back after Week One: the Raiders and the and the Commanders. I mean, man, outside of that, it's a gauntlet. Crazy stuff. So, um, speaking of the Buffalo Bills, all these other teams. I'm getting jealous of these other teams, man. These other teams are having fun with the new ability to be able to rock uh, alternate helmets and alternate uniforms. Just the other day, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are bringing back one of the most classic uniforms in league history, the Creamsicles. They're one of my all-time faves. That old-school Bucks logo with the Buccaneer with the sword in his mouth. The orange creamsicle color, awesome. They're bringing those back. The Detroit Lions, they just announced a new helmet. Things gorgeous. Bit of a throwback there with their old school lion logo kind of stretching out, creeping along. They just announced that. 
There's been plenty of other announcements throughout the year, not only this year, but last year, where teams were adding an additional helmet or a new uniform. And we as Bills fans, and I say we pretty liberally there because it's not we. There's a very select portion that is on one side, a very select portion that is on the other side. And there's this fence split down the middle. And that fence, of course, is whether or not you are a fan of the red helmet. I personally am. And if you look at the mock-ups of what the red helmet light or uh, old school type blue, like this Tasker jersey I have right here. If you look at the mock-ups of that with the red helmet, I think there's one of Josh Allen wearing it. It, it, They're extraordinary. And I feel like that Squidward meme where he's looking outside from his, uh, from his bedroom while SpongeBob and Patrick are out running around playing. I feel like everybody else is getting in on this fun here and the bills aren't. It's felt like forever that the NFL has, uh, is kind of put up blockers on the ability for teams to be able to do fun stuff like other leagues do. The NBA does this constantly. They have those city, uh, those city heritage jerseys. They have a million different types of jerseys. I think that's super cool. MLB, they have a bunch of different alternate uniforms as well. The NFL has been very strict on this topic. Of course, we've had the color rush, but that's going on a decade ago that they introduced that, and there really hasn't been any additions to that since. There's been no additions to that since for the Buffalo Bills. Here's that picture that I was talking about. And look, I, I, I understand if you're not a massive fan of it and you do like what the Bills currently are rocking, and I don't blame you because the Bills have one of the best uniforms in the league. But if you aren't a fan of this, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's not, let's load it up here. It's not loading the way I uh, wanted it to. To me, I think a lot of people look at the red helmet and they immediately think of the early to mid-2000s and so on up until Josh Allen, right? And I totally get it. To me, part of the reason why I want it to happen is because I want to avenge that era, so to speak. I want to be able to get a glimpse of what a good Bills team looks like in the uniform in which I grew up on that, frankly, was just unwatchable football forever. I don't know what the deal is. This isn't pulling up. Let me, uh, I'm just going to pull it up in a different way, and we'll go through it. Um, anyhow, the reason I'm bringing this up is because last week, Out of nowhere, and now this is something I've been pounding the table on for some time here, mind you. I have been team get the red helmet in there for a while. I mean, look at this. I mean, if you don't think that that's, if you don't think that's sweet, I don't know what to tell you. Now, right off the bat, for the folks who aren't in on it, it's not like they're going to be rocking the old navy blues. I get the hatred on those. I get it. The nostalgic factor in me for being a kid growing up during that era there's part of me that would love to see them rock the ba- the navy blues one more time just to see a guy like Josh Allen wear the, that uniform because there wasn't a player even close to the caliber of not only Josh Allen but half this Bills current roster. I'd love to see those uniforms be given the ability to have a decent team rock them. I mean, look at this. I think you're out of your mind if you don't think that that's sweet. 
You mean to tell me you wouldn't want to see this for at least one game? Anyhow, the reason I bring this up, outside of me kind of pounding the table for this ever since the NFL announced that the ability to do this was going to be on the table. Last week, seemingly out of nowhere, and I love this, by the way, this is from CBS, but but my main man, Leston, from uh, Buffalo Fanatics, he got his tweet pinned up here on the uh, CBS article. You got to love that. Shout out BF, shout out Leston. But as you can see here, these started make these pictures started making their way around social media last week from prominent Bills players, Dawson Knox and Greg Rousseau. And there's the there's the helmet, clear as day, obviously. Looks like there's some sort of Labatt promotion with it. And then you got the eyeballs here. And the eyeballs were on both these guys' photos. And we all know what the eyeballs mean, right? Something's up. Something's up. I don't know what the hell the meaning of this is. All they did was post a picture of these two helmets and then never say anything again. The official Bills Twitter account or the official Bills team in itself has not addressed this at all. The funny thing here is this looks like a, a helmet you'd find at like a Halloween store here, this one. So I'd understand if you just saw Greg Rousseau's picture and you said to yourself, oh, maybe it's just some thing that Labatt's doing here, right? Throwback tea, whatever the hell that is. Maybe they're coming out with some new drink or something. I have no idea. But you could see this being at like Wegmans. Okay, that would make sense. Not Dawson Knox's though. Dawson Knox's is like one of those speed helmets. You see? Like, that's a legit-ass helmet right there. And all I got to say is that they're going to continuously keep teasing this without doing it. I'm going to start getting pissed off. Because Josh Allen ran out on the field last year in preseason with the red helmet on. Everybody went crazy. And now we're doing this. And meanwhile, all these other teams are adding stuff to their uniform, and I'm getting jealous. I mean, hell, even the Dallas Cowboys did it last year. They added that white helmet. And that's a team that doesn't seem to ever do anything outside of the norm, right? They're the, you know, they rock the exact same uniform and have forever. And even they got in on the mix with the white helmet there. So, all I can say is, based on last week, I got way too excited after seeing that. And for them to not have said anything by now, it's killing me. We got a couple red helmets here behind me, as you can see. And I'd love nothing more than to see that rocked out there one more time. You know, one of, the, one of, these, one of these primetime games, Bill's run out, and there's, and there's just fun surrounding it, too. You know what I mean? It's a fun thing going into the week. Hyped up, different helmet. I think it gets the guys juiced up. I'd love it. Speaking of, uh, <clears throat> hold on one second here. Get rid of this. So speaking of uh, starving for football, which we all are. I mean, as you can see right now, you talk about DeAndre Hopkins for a little bit, and now all of a sudden we're talking about helmets, you know. I mean, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing it. I just, I need it bad. 
this is the time of year where it just it just seems like they're what, what's going on other than concerts and stuff uh, i just and i do a lot of that you know go to a lot of concerts stuff like that summer stuff but outside of that i mean good god the desire for football to be back is at its all-time high it's funny when there's other sports on at least even though you're dying for football to be back at least there's that there's just nothing going on right now so of course, the NFL knows this. Netflix clearly knows this. They get in on it. They try to fill the gap. They come out with a brand new series, sort of a spinoff of the Hard Knock series, so to speak, but focused on the quarterbacks, and it's entitled Quarterbacks or Quarterback, and that's currently on Netflix. It's eight episodes, and it's a series that focused on the entirety of the 2022 season from the perspective of three quarterbacks. You guessed it. Marcus Mariota, Kirk Cousins, Patrick Mahomes. And you look at it for what it is at face value, and you say to yourself, this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Why would I want to watch a series about Marcus Mariota and Kirk Cousins? You get it about Mahomes. The other two kind of makes you scratch your head. The funny thing is, I'm almost finished with it. I think I have one more episode. I'm going to watch it tonight. Uh, The funny thing is, though, it's actually what makes it so great. Getting the perspective of three very different quarterbacks is awesome. I got to tell you, I absolutely love Kirk Cousins. Watching him from behind the scenes, it's incredible. He is exactly what I thought he was. A guy who... Goes to work at the facility, puts in the time, goes home, hangs out with the family, and in bed by 8. That is exactly what he is. And if you watch this series, you see it on full display. But you get a newfound perspective and a newfound respect, I think, for the guys like Kirk Cousins that are good. I think Ryan Tannehill probably falls into this uh, category as well when we were talking about him earlier. Guys that are good but are always doubted, no matter how good they've done, how good they are, how good of a game they have, how how good the success is, you know, they never really get any of the credit, but they sure as hell get all of the blame. I mean, Kirk Cousins is one of those guys that has been one of the better quarterbacks since he's been a starter. He has been a top half of the league quarterback since he's been a starter. It's just that he's not this prolific superstar like the guys that we constantly talk about, right? And so you get to you get to live in the life of a guy like that in the background from this show, and it's kind of wild because you see the amount of work they put in, the amount of love they have for the game, and the amount that goes into doing what they do for a hell of a lot less uh, respect than a guy like Mahomes gets. It's pretty wild. One of the things that stood out the most, and I thought this was awesome, there was a back-to-back episode stint where uh, it showed the perspective of Mahomes and the Chiefs playing the Bills last year, and then it showed the game of the year, of course, the Vikings game, the Justin Jefferson catch game, Bills versus Vikings. Uh, It was pretty cool seeing the the behind-the-scenes from the Chiefs' perspective. The camera's all over Mahomes' wife, and she's, like, freaking out up in the booth after Mahomes throws that pick to Teron Johnson. 
And Mahomes goes on to talk about how, you know, the loss hurt even more than most because of how big of a rival the Bills are and how much that could affect the AFC playoff picture. And he knows that just one loss like that could completely alter it just based on how good the Bills are and hearing him talk about it. Just really cool to get kind of tapped into it. And you do realize that these guys know, obviously, as well as all of us do, what these other teams are and what they are. And, you know, we can argue till we're blue in the face about the Chiefs, the Bengals, the Bills. At the end of the day, it all comes down to what we already know and what I try to preach on here often. And that is, it doesn't really matter. They're all great. It's a matter of who's going to wind up knocking out who. Obviously, the Chiefs have cemented themselves as the best team in the AFC. They have been for some time, but they still look at those teams like the Bills, like the the Bengals, and they constantly look at them as their equal and a team that they know if they do not get past, if they do not beat, it makes their job infinitely harder the rest of the way to be able to secure the one seed to uh, you know line themselves up properly for the best possible seeding in the playoffs home field advantage, what have you. So that perspective was really cool. Um, you also kind of got the perspective of, you know, Mahomes breaking down sort of what goes what goes into his game and then kind of what goes into all of these matchups that he faces. Because every time Mahomes goes into a game, right, it's, the, it's one of the games of the week. And that's just because oftentimes it's either Mahomes versus – Herbert, Mahomes versus Allen, Mahomes versus Burrow. I mean, these are top-tier games, right? So you're kind of seeing the life that Mahomes live, and that's a wild life, man. Mahomes is – I mean, it's crazy. In one scene, you have Mahomes who seems like he's constantly doing something. He's constantly having to do something because the guy is essentially a movie star, right? Kirk Cousins isn't. So whereas Mahomes will go, he'll be at – He'll be doing a podcast with the Kelsey brothers, and then he'll be doing he'll be at some party or event, and then he'll be doing this or that. And then in the next in the next scene, you got Kirk Cousins who's just back home hanging out with the fam. His wife's picking out his uniform or his uh, his outfit that he's gonna wear at the podium the next day. The the one that kind of before I get into the Vikings bit on the Bills game there, the one that stood out the most, I think, out of all three, that was probably Marcus Mariota, just because it was the most unique perspective out of all three quarterbacks. This is a quarterback who, speaking of the Tennessee Titans once again, was a starting quarterback in this league for a while, right? Got the Titans to the playoffs, was a Heisman Trophy winner. You know, that's a quarterback who has had a great career, Football-wise, you know, in the NFL, it hasn't been great, but he's lasted a while, and that's more than a lot of these other Heisman Trophy winners can say or a lot of other quarterbacks can say. Uh, But Mariota's time fizzled out, of course, in Tennessee. He's bounced around the league. So you get to watch him start for this new team in the Atlanta Falcons and then kind of watch it all come crashing down and how that not only affects him, as a human being, but how it affects his whole family. And the wild thing is when he got benched for Desmond Ritter, his wife had given birth to their firstborn child like the day before. So, you know, we sit here and we were arguing earlier about 
the Titans there, whoever was in here. We were arguing about, oh, you know, why wouldn't DeAndre Hopkins want to go here? Whatever. We're arguing about all this stuff all day long as sports fans. You know, we're arguing about so-and-so being this, so-and-so being that, Titans being in the thick of things. I say they're not. Titans fans say they are, you know, whatever. We do this constantly with everything. Constant arguments. All sports is, right? Constantly. You never really think about it the way that this series kind of brings things to light. The one thing you'd never think about, especially if you were, uh, you know, we've been down this road a million times as Bills fans. You'd never think about this at the time if you were a, a, Falcon, or a Falcons fan. All you want to do is win, right? And if it was the Bills, I mean, if the quarterback situation was declining and it was holding us back or it wasn't propelling us forward, we'd be all over moving on to the next guy, especially when you got a rookie waiting in the wings. You want to see what he's got. But you never sit back and think, man, the day, the day or two after this guy and his wife give birth to their first kid, he's out of a job. Just like that. It's wild. And if you remember correctly, at that time, uh, Mariota kind of quit on the team a bit. When they announced Desmond Ritter was the starter, he kind of just vanished. And it shows what happened there. You know, he claims that it was a leg injury and he wanted to go get that checked out. Well, he would never have done that if he would have remained the starter. Uh, so you're really watching this un- emotional unfolding of a, of a guy's life, so to speak. And, and they don't really hold anything back. Everything's on camera. They got everything from the inside of their house to the car all the way to the facility and back again. And you kind of watch this guy's life. You know, at one moment, you know, he's building a crib with his wife in the in the bedroom and they're getting ready for the baby, and then he has the baby. So in one moment, the best thing that's probably happened to this guy in his life is occurring. He has his child. And the other moment, one of the worst things that could happen to you as a professional football player, you lose your job. So crazy to watch from that perspective. So he's on that end of it. He's on the bottom totem pole end of it. And I think that's where you get the most interesting aspects of a, of a life in the league because that's most guys. You know, most guys in this league are, are like Mariota. We forget about that because we don't talk about those guys. But the majority of this league are guys who are fighting for their job every single day. So he's the bottom half, or he's the bottom of the, of the three-pronged totem pole here. The medium is... Uh, is Kirk Cousins because his job's not in jeopardy, but he's a guy that's just up and down, up and down, constant criticism. But at the same time, he's done well enough to continuously be a starter and continuously get contract out of a contract. So in the Bills game, right last year, the, the, the game of the year, what I didn't know at the time, and I don't know if I knew this up until I watched this, was just how what, I could not believe this. So let's recap the game, of course, if you don't remember everything that happened. The uh, the Vikings, after that insane catch by Justin Jefferson on fourth down, go all the way down the field. They're going to win the game in regulation, right? Kirk Cousins audibles into a QB sneak. So this is one thing from the show that you might not have known. I don't know how you would have. Kevin O'Connell was going to call a timeout, and instead... Kirk Cousins drew up his own play. It was a QB sneak. And if you remember correctly, he goes to sneak into the end zone with about 30 seconds or so in regulation left, and he doesn't get in. It's fourth down. He gets stuffed at the goal line. Bills stop him. And 
I remember in that moment watching the game, and I couldn't believe it. You, you thought it was inevitable the Bills are losing this game. He gets stuffed at the goal line, and now all of a sudden, there's no way the Bills can lose this game. And then, of course, Josh Allen fumbles on the inch line, trying to move forward to ice the game. The Vikings score a touchdown on that fumble. Game goes to overtime, and the Titans win it. So in that game, you find out in this show that Kirk Cousins was essentially, like, towards the end of that game, was unable to keep going. He was banged up from previous games, and in the, to the point about halfway through this game, he was full-blown injured. And it seemed as though that never made the light of day. No one ever really knew just how injured Kirk Cousins really was. And I remember that kind of being a story where I think it was Mike Florio, he had thought that the Vikings were kind of keeping it hidden that Kirk Cousins was actually injured when in reality, or they were keeping it hidden that he wasn't injured when in reality he was. You find out in this game, in this in this series here, that in that particular game, had Kirk Cousins had to go out on that field for even one more snap. I don't even know if he would have been able to do it. And they show him on the sidelines, and he's just praying to God that this game ends one way or the other, win or lose. That's kind of what he was at, where he was at. He's sitting on the sideline. This this man's just dead, banged up. So he takes a hit from Von Miller in that game, and he had some rib injuries going into it, and it looked as though Von Miller just absolutely re-aggravated the hell out of that injury. And he barely made it through the rest of that game. So it was wild watching it from that perspective because not only was that the game of the year, it had the play of the year, and it was just an insane game that the Bills were unfortunately on the wrong side of. But then you come to find out that you know Kirk Cousins leads them to that victory, and he barely was able to play. I mean, seriously, at the end of that game, he was just thankful it was over. He, he could not go out on that field for one more snap. Uh, and then the Mahomes angle of it, just to round it out, uh, just, just insanely cool to watch his life unfold because, you know, Mahomes has been the face of the NFL for a while now, and you kind of get to see what that's like. And it's kind of crazy, especially for me, because he's essentially my age. He's a year or two older than me. So you just look at that lifestyle, and you're just like, God, man, that is insane. The life that this guy lives and the demanding nature in which it involves around being the type of quarterback or athlete that you are if you're Patrick Mahomes. Um, And you get to follow around the Chiefs on the Super Bowl run there. And uh, you look back on it, it it is crazy. It shows in the beginning of the year how doubted some people or how down on the Chiefs some people were because of the departure of Tyreek Hill. And uh, one thing about Patrick Mahomes that you'll notice when you watch this series is that, he, one, he doesn't forget anything. I mean, he uses just about anything for added motivation. Uh, but, two, just an ultimate, the ultimate competitor. I mean, that guy is doing everything in his power to win. And that's why, you know, that's why they're, they're as good as they've been. Um you look at Mahomes, and a lot of times it just looks easy and stuff. But you look at the, the guys; the guys putting in the work, man. The guys putting in the work, and there's no secret as to why they're as good as they are. Um, so, really cool show. I would recommend checking it out if you haven't already. It definitely helps fill the time here uh, without football. It kind of scratches that football itch for a bit there while you watch it, and it gets you even more excited if you're not already at the maximum excitement level uh, for the uh, season coming up.
And then speaking of television shows, and this is, I, I'll tell you, I, I like Hard Knocks. I typically watch it every year, but it's not anything that I'm like obsessed over. Like last year with Detroit, I watched it, but it wasn't like I was counting down the, the days till the new episode came out. This is going to be must-watch TV, the Jets on Hard Knocks. This is going to be must-watch, must especially since the Bills play the Jets week one. Because Hard Knocks will launch with the New York Jets, I think, when is it? Three weeks from this week, the first week of August. So that entire first month of the show is not only going to be the Jets, one of our biggest rivals, it's not only going to be Aaron Rodgers now as the quarterback of that Jets and what of the Jets and what that all looks like, but that whole month of programming for for Hard Knocks is going to be centered around the Jets getting ready for that Monday nighter against the Bills. And if you watch Hard Knocks in the past, you know that they recap games each week and what happens before the game and after the game. So you're gonna have about a month of like prep from the behind the scenes angle for these Jets going into the Bills game. And then right after that Bills game's over, you're going to get the behind the scenes look at what went into that game, what happened during it, and then afterwards. So must see television. Even if you're not a Bills fan or a Jets fan or whatever, I don't know how you couldn't watch that. Aaron Rodgers in, in himself, just seeing what he's going to do every week is going to be something Seeing what this Jets team looks like behind the scenes, the way that they're currently being, you know, touted going into this season, what that all is like for Robert Sala and this young team being led by Aaron Rodgers with the highest expectations they've had in forever. I mean, we're talking must-see here. I'm super excited for that. I don't think it gets better. Out of all the teams you could have chose to be on hard knocks coming this year, the Jets would have been my number one choice. That wound up being the choice and I think it's even cooler that the, the Bills play in week one so you get all of that added stuff within the show that kind of pertains to the Bills a little bit so super super exciting stuff there was one more thing that I thought I wanted to touch on here before we close up shop let me take a look here and see what I had on here Oh man. I was in Saratoga over the over the weekend here this past weekend, by the way. My one of my favorite places in all of New York. I go up every single year. I don't know if anybody is from the uh the Saratoga area, but it's one of my favorite places in all of New York. I absolutely love it there. SPAC, if you've never been, the um the concert venue out in Saratoga, it is one of the greatest venues in the entire country, not just New York. And if you ever get the chance to see a concert at SPAC, I don't care who it is, go and do it. It is the it's a once-in-a-lifetime once experience. If you haven't been, you got to knock that off your bucket list because I cannot speak higher of it. I've gone a gazillion times. I'll go a gazillion times more. It's one of my all-time favorite places, and I couldn't recommend it higher. If you're a, If you're a music guy or you just like cool atmospheres, you definitely got to check out Saratoga. Um, all right, before we close up, shot, there was one more thing today that stood out in the NFL world and 
I think it's worth touching on just because I think every offseason now here for the last three years or so, the Bills have been a topic of conversation when it comes to a team that is potentially looking for a new running back. And that's always a debate that us fans are having amongst one another because there's half the fan base that is willing to go and get a running back in the first round of the draft. There's half the fan base who isn't. And frankly, that's kind of split down the middle amongst all NFL fans in itself. I personally am in the camp of being one of those guys who does not think it is worth it. However, if it's late in the first round and it's the best player available, then I think it is worth exploring. I do not think it's worth going after a running back in the top 10, similar to what the uh, Atlanta Falcons just did. And of course what the New York giants did back in the Josh Allen draft when they took Saquon Barkley. Now I'm a, I'm a big Penn state fan. Got to see Saquon Barkley in person a couple of times in happy Valley, got to watch him play. And he easily was the best player I had ever seen in person at Penn State. Uh, it wasn't close. I remember a game we went to where they were playing. You know how it is in college. You get a couple of these warm-up games, it seems, for these Power 5 conference teams. And I forget who they were playing, but he, 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 took, a, he took a kick return back, I think it was, about 80 yards. And it just looked like a man toying with a bunch of boys out there. The athleticism, the strength, the speed. You look at that guy's legs. I mean, you've never seen anything like it. And when he is healthy and when he's clicking, he is certainly one of the best running backs in the league. And that's why you understand why the Giants thought he might be worth a second overall pick back in 2018. Now, I, for the life of me, for the life of me, would never be able to justify at, at two overall taking a running back. I just, I cannot fathom being a part of that fan base, right? Especially now looking back on their current quarterback situation, which they'll tell you is satisfactory at the moment. I think we all know it isn't. But you look back at what that draft had, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and they could have had the choice of anybody. They could have had Josh Allen. They could have had Lamar Jackson, right? Um, Saquon Barkley has been the face of that franchise really ever since Eli Manning retired. And up until now, he is still the face of that franchise. And you look at the Giants from the casual fan perspective, and there really is not a ton of household names on there. Saquon's the guy you think of when you think of the Giants. Saquon's the jersey you'd buy if you were a Giants fan. And if you were a guy that was in town wanting to go and see a football game, the selling point to going and watching the Giants game would be, oh, they got Saquon Barkley. That would be your selling point. It wouldn't be, oh, they got Daniel Jones. And this is back to the point I was making earlier about the Titans, where they're in the same camp. The selling point for going and watching the Titans would be they got Derrick Henry. And I know for me personally, who has been to at least three Bills-Titans games, I know that's the one thing I'm always looking at when I'm watching the Titans, especially in person. Derrick Henry. He is the face of the franchise. He is the guy who puts asses in the seats to come and watch that team. So Saquon today, the deadline was at 4 p.m. to sign a contract extension. 
with the New York Giants. And I think this offseason, you could say this offseason, was successful to some degree for the New York Giants because they did go into the playoffs last year, something that they have not done in almost a, or a decade or so. They do get a win over the Minnesota Vikings, an underdog-type victory, a upset-type victory that not everybody had on their radar. It was a successful year last year for Daniel Jones and Brian Dable in his first year, and we all realize that they are a better team with Saquon Barkley out on that field. Going into this offseason, they had to take care of both Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. And instead of franchise tagging Daniel Jones, getting one more year under the belt of Brian Dable, kind of figuring those things out, watching to see if it gets even better, they instead pay him an obscene amount of money, way more than I think anybody thinks he's worth, and they were unable to restructure a deal with Saquon Barkley and they were going back and forth back and forth and the deadline expired today at 4 p.m. and no deal was reached and you have to wonder now if you're a Giants fan after finally getting a taste of success something that you've been looking for for about a decade or so now ever since the glory days with Eli Manning you got to wonder if that's all now completely in flux within less than a year the Giants were unable to reach terms with Saquon Barkley, and this is a microcosm currently of what the running back market is, and these running backs are finally kind of standing up to it. Josh Jacobs doing the same thing with the Las Vegas Raiders, same exact situation. He's been one of their better players over the last couple of seasons. His contract was up, no contract deal reached with the Las Vegas Raiders. This is the current state of the running back position, and they are quickly finding it out and are quickly trying to stand up to themselves to some degree in order to get I, – I, it's, it's tough to phrase because it's really tough to say get what their fair share is when you'll look at this position and look at how quickly the turnover rate is. A guy like Saquon Barkley for the Giants should have been paid. You draft him second overall. He's been the face of your franchise, and he has been your best player since you drafted him. You pay that guy. I'm shocked they didn't come to a deal – to me, that's a failure on the New York Giants. But not every running back can be like Saquon Barkley, be put in this position where you get the ability to be not only up for a second contract with your team, but worthy of it. I think Saquon Barkley is worthy of it. The running back position currently, as it stands, the NFL has shown you, and the Giants just gave you a perfect example. I'm talking about an example where I felt as though it should happen. They should have paid him. And I don't say that about many of these running back situations because, frankly, 90% of the time it's not worth it. This one was. But even in this situation where you could argue that it was, right, even in this particular situation, the Giants still did not work out a deal with Saquon Barkley. And it's just another example of what the current situation is in the NFL surrounding running backs. They, they are not a valuable commodity. And even when you take a running back at second overall, you still can't find a way to justify giving him a second contract. And the running backs are coming out and, and, and kind of standing up for themselves to some degree and saying, listen, this is essentially, uh, you know, it's kind of like a volunteer game or it's kind of like a volunteer job coming into the league. You give them your best years, you give them your, your optimal health, right? Your, your best prime years, and then when that kind of drops off a bit, 
there's nowhere left. There's nothing left. There's no more money left. There's no job security left. With just about every other position, there is to some degree. I mean, how many quarterbacks in this league get another try and another try and another try, even though they've declined? But the running back position is just so brutal, constantly getting beat up, constantly getting injured. And because of that, the wheels fall off quicker than most all other uh, positions. And it has now become one of those positions where you're better off just moving on and finding a cheaper alternative than you are signing a guy for, you know, whatever Saquon was looking for, 14 to 16 million. And the Chiefs give you a perfect example last year. They said there's no point in, in continuing to, to, to pay running backs, uh, you know, again and again or try and maintain a veteran or try, try and maintain a guy that, you know, we, we've brought up. They went out and got Isaiah Pacheco late in the draft, and he starts and wins a Super Bowl with you, right? So this is a perfect example right there. You can win a Super Bowl with a late-round running back starting for your team, and that guy could have an impact on that team and that game. There's more evidence to show that you shouldn't pay the running back. And unfortunately for these running backs, I do feel, I do feel for them. They go their whole life working for this. They have become the best of the best. They come to the team, and they are an impact. And in Saquon's particular situation, they are the best player on the team. I'd argue in Josh Jacobs' situation, one of, if not the best player on that offense outside of maybe Devontae Adams, although the air attack currently is looking pretty bleak for those, for those Raiders. But you look at those two guys in particular, and those are two guys that are at the top of the food chain, and they still can't find a contract. What does that mean for the rest of the guys? So you have to wonder if if and when anything will change from a contract perspective when it comes to the running back position because it seems the way that things are currently lined up, if you are a running back, you are going to get hosed at some point in your career. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. You are absolutely going to get boned financially and your job is always going to be in jeopardy no matter how good you are. Because there's no denying Saquon's a top five running back in this league, and they could not reach an agreement. And above that, not just the talent level, but in this league where the business is ultimately the main priority, the bottom line is, of course, the ultimate priority for these teams, Saquon is the face of that revenue stream, and you still don't pay him. That, to me, is the biggest indictment on the Giants out of all of this. They don't have a guy that is... The guy you put on the banner, right? The guy you put on the big poster outside of the stadium. The guy that you market your your jersey uh, to, or the, the, the jersey you market outside of the pro shop. Saquon is all of that, and they still can't figure it out. The running back position, it's it's been crazy watching it progress, or regress, I should say, in my lifetime. Because even early in my life, you know, that was – a huge element of most successful teams. You had to have a great running back, and there were plenty of them. And as time went on and time went on, it, it got a little less and a little less and a little less, and now you're at the point where, like I said earlier, I enjoy watching Derrick Henry every time I get the chance to when he's not playing against my Bills. And that's because that is the last version of that that I think you're going to see at that success level. Because those type of guys just aren't going to be around anymore. They're not going to come into the league anymore. 
there's going to be a trickle-down effect to this. There's going to be a trickle-down effect to this. No kid now is going to want to go into middle school, high school, and college wanting to be a running back with aspirations of going to the league knowing that, that, that this is what your fate is. It's become a known thing now. Where if you're a young, rising, incredible athlete, and typically those guys would play running back, you would definitely think twice about that now. And you watch over, it's going to take some time, of course, for that to cycle into the league. It's going to take well over a decade, I'm sure, for that trickle-down effect to happen. But you watch. There aren't going to be guys like Derrick Henry anymore just because there was no desire to be that guy in the first place. And a lot of these guys are going to want to go and play wide receiver. Who wouldn't? Those guys get all the money in the world. They get all the fame in the world. They get multiple contract extensions. They get multiple chances at multiple different teams. I mean, we just watched this go on this season. We just watched it happen yesterday. Now, DeAndre Hopkins is an example, right? This is his third team, and even though he's aging, he basically had the pick of the litter when it came to what team he wanted to play for. Odell Beckham Jr. off of an ACL tear, two of them, right? He basically had the pick of the litter, and he got paid, what, $18 million in Baltimore? So you think to yourself, if you're a, a, an athlete coming up, and maybe you're one hell of a running back, and you know that you you got a chance to be one hell of a college player and potentially get to the league, I think you'd have to be out of your mind to pursue playing running back. I mean, if that was my kid, and I had a prolific, unbelievable athlete as a kid, and he was a running back, and, and, and it was a possibility of him being a division a, a division one football player, and God knows what happens after that, if he was asking my advice, my advice would be, listen, if, you're, if your ultimate aspiration here is to be a professional football player, the last thing I'd recommend you do is, is play the running back position. And I think you just saw a stone-cold perfect example of a guy that I felt should have gotten paid, a guy that was worthy of getting paid, a guy that's a face of a franchise, and a guy that makes his team infinitely better when he's on the field. He could not get a contract figured out with the organization that took him second overall. It is a perfect example of the state of the running back, uh, the state of the running back position in this league, and the state of it has never been worse. So it's it's beneficial for the teams. I'll say that. Back to the Chiefs' point, what's the point? Go get Isaiah Pacheco. Find a way to get him involved in the team in in a way that's effective for a late round running back, and win a Super Bowl. You look at that example, and you're like, you know. That's why when Bijan Robinson went to Arizona or went to Atlanta this 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 past draft here, you know I look at Atlanta's situation, a young team that's trying to rebuild, and of course, what's the first thing that you hear now out of uh, minicamp in Atlanta, right? They're not calling him a running back; they're calling him an offensive weapon. That's what they're calling Bijan Robinson. Don't refer to him as a running back; refer to him as an offensive weapon. Because the organization is trying to justify to the fan base why they just took a running back towards the top of the draft. While everybody in that fan base, in all fan bases, is sitting back and watching what happens to these guys no matter where you take them in the draft. Right? I mean, Ryan's coming in here with a good example, and this is kind of back, this is kind of what I'm talking about here. I mean, even when you are doing more than just running the ball. Yes, Saquon is a phenomenal option out of the backfield. 
And you can tell a guy like Brian Dable with the limitations of Daniel Jones is going to be able to find a way to maximize that out of a guy like Saquon Barkley. Because one, you have a guy in Saquon that's capable of doing it. But two, you have to do it in order to be successful on that offense. Daniel Jones was averaging about five yards per throw last year. One of the least amount of yards through the air per attempt in the league. That offense is predicated around short yardage situations and moving the chains incrementally. They are not a team that is going to beat you through the air with long balls going deep, theatrics through the uh, through the passing game. Not going to happen. So even in a perfect world where, the, where a team is built for the running back, and you could argue that the Giants in their current state are, Right? Joe coming in here, right? Henry and Chubb make 12 million, McCaffrey 16. So, yes. McCaffrey right now, McCaffrey's one of the only guys that, I mean, back when he was up for sale, essentially, last year with Carolina, he's that guy. I mean, I would have paid anything for Christian McCaffrey. I think he's one of the greatest talents in this entire league on, on the offensive side of the ball, no, regardless of position. And I, I just think... A guy like Christian McCaffrey, it completely revolutionizes your offense in so many different ways. That guy can do everything on top of not only, on top of not just, you know, being an extraordinary asset. But I, I, in my opinion, I think he is the best running back in the league. Christian McCaffrey's worth getting paid. And then, of course, Derrick Henry, he is the exact same example to some degree as Saquon Barkley is. He is the face of of the Tennessee Titans. He is the overall centerpiece of the Tennessee Titans offense. So, of course, you have to pay Derrick Henry. And, of course, he was deserving of being paid. Derrick Henry has been one of the most dominant running backs in the modern era here. The guy is a house. That's why I keep saying, like, you got to enjoy watching Derrick Henry while he's still around because that dude is one-on-one, and that breed of running back is a, it is going extinct. Going extinct. Derrick Henry, worth it. And I think that that comparison to Saquon Barkley is really the one you should look at because that right there is the perfect example. Derrick Henry and Saquon Barkley are very similar in the fact that the offense is essentially predicated around them. They're both the face of the franchise, so to speak. They're both the cornerstone of each other's offenses. And when you're going to go buy a jersey prior to the DeAndre Hopkins signing, right, for the uh, for the Titans, I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to buy a Ryan Tannehill jersey or are you going to buy a Derrick Henry jersey? I think that that choice is pretty obvious. Are you going to buy a Daniel Jones jersey or are you going to buy a Saquon Barkley jersey? I think the choice is pretty obvious. So there's so many factors here, and that's why a guy like Derrick Henry, of course, he makes about as much money as any other running back in the league. And I think you will see even further this year with a full year under the Kyle Shanahan system and a full year for Shanahan to be able to get the most out of, uh, out of McCaffrey, you know, you will see why he makes the amount of money that he does, right? Well, that's the thing here, Josie. Barkley didn't want top money. He came out and said, point blank, he wasn't trying to reset the market, and I thought the way he approached it, I love Saquon. I think he is a, uh, an extraordinary, extraordinarily high-character guy. Uh, he always he always has been ever since his time at Penn State, just a, a, a model player, really, a guy you'd want to look up to for sure. And uh, 
he wasn't trying to reset the market. He wasn't trying to bankrupt the the Giants. And that, that's why, if I'm a Giants fan, I'm even more upset today about it. Because it seemed as though Saquon, I mean, once again, once again, right? We don't know. Behind the scenes, you know, were the negotiations way more tense and, and way more lucrative uh, towards the favor of Saquon than we were let on to 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 know? Maybe. But from all we know from the public perspective, it seemed like Saquon approached this situation with the utmost respect for the Giants organization, and all he wanted to do was, you know, secure his job, get paid for the work he's put in, and get paid for the work he's going to put in in the future, and get to work. And they could not, they could not, uh, they could not figure that out. Pokemon professor coming in here. I want to just, this is what I say at the beginning of the show. I try to at least. Can we please focus on the Bills now? We have players doing big things. Come on, people. Much love, Pokemon. Appreciate you watching. It's July 17th. You know what I mean? It is July 17th. We can only talk about Stefan Diggs drama with, with Josh Allen that doesn't exist for so long. We can only talk about so many things for so long. But I will say, to your point, we do have camp coming up about a week and that's when we will be able to finally get into some deep dive off-season bills talk it just felt like recently the only thing that we can talk about is debunking right the rumors surrounding Diggs and Josh Allen or we could read we could talk about the extension but as far or extension with Bean and McDermott but as far as like tangible stuff there has just been a lack thereof and I got to tell you it's tough I hate it I hate having to come on here and not having a you know a awesome uh new bills topic to get into the problem is there just isn't but luckily for us we do have camp right around the corner and i'm really excited about that because that is the ultimate sign that things are here you know things are here and we're finally going to start getting some real tangible pieces and evidence on guys like dalton kincaid and what that is going to look like not just in a mini camp setting but in a full-on scrimmage, you know, practice-type setting. I'm really – I mean, that that to me is the, the thing I'm most excited about going into camp and really going into the season from a personnel perspective is Dalton Kincaid. That's what I'm looking forward to the most, and hopefully we get uh, – you know, we get some stuff coming out about him early on into the, uh, into the training camp here. And then, of course, with that comes, you know, maybe we get a look at the 12 personnel that we're potentially – going to be seeing with him and Dawson Knox. Uh, there's a variety of different stuff that I can't wait to dive into. And uh, a camp for a lot of different NFL teams starts up this week. But for the Buffalo Bills, they kick things off next week. So it's going to be, let's see, nine days from today. So a week from Wednesday, the Bills kick off their first practice of the training camp session at St. John Fisher up in my hometown of Rochester, New York. So practice kicks off Wednesday the 26th at 9.45 a.m. They practice uh, the rest of the week there, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then they go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and they have practice at least three times a week for the next three weeks. And then look at, like back to my man Pokemon's point here where he's like, talk about some bills, right? Um, back to his point here. August 12th, we got the first preseason game, baby. And I got to tell you, I don't even think that that registered until right now. How close that really is. I don't think that's clicked yet to me. We are less than a month out. 
Not Pokemon. I totally get it. Pokemon saying that's not true. I love this show, which I appreciate. But y'all forget about the charities they run, et cetera. I love y'all, but no one ever talks about that stuff. Oh, I talk about that stuff all the time. Come on. You know I'm a big character guy. You know I love the culture. You know I'm a big culture guy. I'm a big process guy. Unfortunately, though, I can't come on here and talk about the charity work for two hours, although I would love to at times. I really would love to. A lot of these guys doing a lot of great stuff. You know what? Pokemon's got me going down a fun topic here, actually, that I do want to address that I would not have remembered had he had not brought this up. So let's give a shout-out to Pokemon Professor because he actually just triggered something in my mind last week that happened that I forgot I wanted to talk about this week. So this is what happens. Things will happen, and there'll be, uh, there'll be a gap, and I'll freaking forget about it. So... Shout out Pokemon Professor. I just got something in my brain that I want to talk about before we close up. Uh, but to round out the uh, the camp talk here, uh, yeah, camp kicks off on the 26th. There is a uh, blue-red game, so that's like, you know, the organized scrimmage at Highmark Stadium. Oh, I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I just said Highmark Stadium. I'm looking at it right here, the logo, and I just read out loud what I'm looking at, kind of like Ron Burgundy. I hate myself for that. I think that's the first time I have ever called the Bill Stadium Highmark Stadium, and I feel sick about it. Sounded just sounded terrible. Red white game at the Ralph, red blue game rather at the Ralph. That's Friday, uh, August fourth. So that's like two weeks away. The organized scrimmage, and then a week following that, the first preseason game of the year against the Indianapolis Colts. So that, if I'm looking at my schedule here, that is on August twelfth. So, how many days officially do we have until we see some sort of actual Buffalo Bills football? You ask. Well, we have seven, fourteen, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six days till the first preseason game. Okay, so now we're talking. When you say eight weeks till the first year, or for the till the first game, when you say eight weeks, kind of sounds like a lot, and it'll go quick. But when you say eight weeks, it ain't like you're saying two weeks. You know what I mean? But when you say 26 days till preseason ball, there's a, there's a little ring to that. There's a, there, there's a ring to that. That kind of rolls off the tongue nicely. Um, all right, so shout out Pokemon, which, by the way, says love you, Z-Bot, and I think we should talk about that stuff. Um, you're right. You're right. I mean, these guys do do a lot of great stuff, obviously. And one of the guys that does a ton, and you know he's one of my favorites, and this is why I got this idea. So once again, shout out my man Pokemon for triggering this up because this is something I listen to live, and I remember the first thing I thought of was I want to talk about this um, because I thought it was hilarious. So you know one of my main guys is Deion Dawkins. I absolutely love him, one of my favorite Bills. We interview him every year. He's one of my favorite guys to talk to. Just love him. And so I was listening to Colin Coward last week. And this was the day of the ESPYs. And, of course, that was the night that uh, Deion Dawkins, which, by the way, the ESPYs were great. The DeMar Hamlin piece with the the Bills medical staff, that was just incredible. Wow, that was, man, that that was something. That was something. How cool was that? Oh, that was crazy. But, uh, you know, Deion was showing out, showed up with, uh, with the suit coat and not much else. Gotta love it. Tattoos instead of the undershirt. So that day, Deion Dawkins was actually out in uh, L.A. And speaking of charities, like Pokey was bringing up there, he was out promoting one of them. And uh, he was out for the ESPYs out in L.A., and he goes on Coward for the day. 
And what I love about Dion, and I've always said this about him, is he's just real, man. He is, uh, he is just genuinely honest no matter what. He'll tell you what's on his mind, good, bad, or indifferent. And I love that about guys because they're not bullshitting you. They shoot you straight. And whether it's what you want to hear or what you don't want to hear, either way, you know you're getting the honest truth. And so he was on Coward. And Jason McIntyre, who is a big Jets fan, and I'm getting sick and tired of having to listen to it every day. He finds a way to incorporate the Jets in the Coward show every single day. He gets into it with, with Dion. He's, and mind you, I've sat next to Dion numerous times. This is a guy, and I, I, I tried cracking that joke with him. You saw it in the interview if you watched it. I, cr- I cracked that joke to him about his big shoes there, and he looked at me, and he was like, oh, you got jokes, and he was being kind of, he was like being serious, and then he pulled back and started laughing. But in that moment, he was serious. I mean, it's not often you got a guy that's like 6'4", 350, a foot away from you, looking at you like he's, like he's ready to pounce. It's not often that happens, and it, and it is not, it is not a, a, a relaxing situation. I mean, even when you do know he's kidding, you do see it. I mean, that is one massive human being. And Jason McIntyre is a small freaking dude. But he's got a gigantic mouth when it comes to his Buffalo, or to his New York Jets, as most Jets fans do. And by the way, I forgot to mention, I wanted to say this earlier. I saw my first uh, Aaron Rodgers Jets uniform out in the wild. Uh, and it almost made me sick. Like I mentioned, I was at Saratoga over the weekend for the for Dave Matthews at SPAC, and I saw my first, I saw my first Aaron Rodgers Jets jersey in the wild, and I just I'm like, yep, there it is. Going to be seeing a whole hell of a lot of that everywhere. I feel like, but I had yet to see one. Um, I had yet to see one in in person, and it kind of really hits. It kind of hits home when you see it in real time, right? Because there's still part of this that it doesn't seem all that real to me. You know, the whole the whole Aaron Rodgers thing just seems like such BS sometimes to me with the, with the with the Jets that you kind of forget about the fact that he will actually be the quarterback of that team. Part of it just feels like a reality show with them. It truly does. It just feels like this big soap opera starring Aaron Rodgers. And it, there's part of me that forgets that week one, that's who's trying out playing the Bills. You know? Um, so anyway... Uh, Dawkins was on Coward, and McIntyre gets into him, uh, into it with him a little bit, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I'm gonna play this. I don't know. I'm gonna see if my let me see if my headphones will work. If I can't hear it, can't believe these things freaking died on me. Well, anyway, I'll play it out loud, and I'll keep the subtitles on, so that way you should be able to hear it. And really? even though I can't, they have been I'll the read talk it. of this show. It feels like since the I want to get to the point. They talk Dion about a bunch Duff. of stuff. I want to get to the point where J Max coming in on him here, because you can tell in the beginning here he tries to grill him a little bit, and Dion comes at him, and it's great. If you haven't seen this, enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, Dion. Puts to rest real quick the sarcastic the sarcastic jokes, so to speak. I guess J Mac was trying so to get uh, trying to incorporate, trying to put on Dion here. Let me know if you guys can't hear this or not. Plays were off script, right? So if you find teams that run the ball, by the way, effectively, Tennessee, because 
Tannehill doesn't give you a lot off script. Uh, Jared Goff. They have been the talk. They have been the. They have been. They have been. The, the they have been the there. talk of this show. It feels exactly for it those. And he only has one team that he ever talks about. That's yeah. it. The, and I mean, the he Jets. grew up with the Knicks, but he doesn't care. Very he grew excited. up with the Yankees, he doesn't care. He right. literally. Oh, here it is. Okay, here we go. Here we go back a little bit. Yeah, here we go. If you guys can't hear this, let me know. I don't have my headphones on, so I gotta, I gotta trust that you guys can hear it. And I recommend going and watching this full thing. Real good interview. Any interview with Dion's good. Because any question you ask him, like I said, you're gonna get a good answer every time. And that's why when you see those games. A lot of different things happen because there's so many emotions that are flying because we know how important those in-division games are yeah. during the season. All right. Um, Deion Dawkins, great season. So I think it's right yeah, about sure. here where J-Mac, he kind of he 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 takes a dig. He takes nice. a dig I really at the Bills do. I, I love it here, especially when I have a direct enemy. A direct enemy. Enemy. Well, he he's, is not, a, he's just an agitator. Nah, he is a Jets. <laughs> do, you, do you have a Jets tat? I no, come on. You 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 for sure have a Jets tattoo, but I would never get a a sports tattoo. But like, do you have like one of them little stamp things (laughs) that like dry off? Like, you think of one of those fanboys? I mean, I'm just making sure, bro. I'm just making sure. Look at him. Look at he's so embarrassed. He's so embarrassed. The, and I mean, the he Jets. grew up with the Knicks, but he doesn't care. Very he grew excited. up with the Yankees, he doesn't care. He right. literally... Do you have, like, He's looking at Coward like, yo, you better help me out here if Deion comes over here. Like, you were probably, like, the first guy to click add to cart. I'm a grown man. That's what's scary about it. No. That's not. Like, I'll just talk trash with Coward. Not really. Maybe wear a Jets t-shirt once in a while. No. So, I just want to... He's backing up his whole fandom, too, on the Jets. I don't know. I wore a Jets t-shirt once. Like, dude, you talk... Come on. Come on. At least own your fandom, for God's sakes. And jersey on. And sit there... And talk mm-hmm. about so, Deion Dawkins and the Deion. Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. Like that that, that the entire last day. time we made a bet was it, about the Seahawks. And I had to shave the logo on the side of my head. So I'm, See, that's the, too much. The, the hairstylist here was like, Jason, you can't do that anymore. I, was like, fine, I think fine, the part fine. that got skipped out there that I couldn't find right before it was that Deion or J-Mac to Deion, he's like, he's like, so I want to talk about, you know, the Bills inability to score in the red zone or the Bills inability to run or to uh uh, yeah, that's what, t- yeah, 10K Trippy's saying here. That's, uh, this is the part I miss. I gotta, let me, all right, let me, let me skim through here and find it. 10K Trippy's talking about the, the point that got Dion to kind of say, like, you know, he's got enemy territory here. I'm reading the, uh, because he comes at the O line. He kind of comes in hot. He kind of comes in hot too. When I heard it for, at first, I was like, "Oh man!" Like positive stuff. Go ahead. Man, Dion's not gonna like that. <laughs> so the line has come down for Jets Bills. Here, sure, you know, Here, Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. When your quarterback's mobile, to have a there's our running back. He gets 28 carries because you. Go I knew the second, second he said it, I was like, Jaylen "Dude, Dion is right, not, not gonna, it changes, going to let this go easily." Calling changes based on these off-script plays. You're right. Yeah, it's almost. He, he killed the Jets with his legs Ooh. last year. Josh Allen. He kills he everybody with his legs. I like the positive stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. What else? Uh, <laughs> so the line has come down for Jets Bills. I'm sure you know we've talked about it on the show. Bills were it? three point favorites now down to one one and a half. Oh, go but, either way. But Jamie. still the Bills are favored. But still the favorite. Favor, yes, yes. Cool. The capital the F. But yeah. go ahead. What else? It should be. It should be a great game, right? Mm-hmm. I'm very excited. No, I are you going to be there? I can I get the day off Tuesday to? 
Is it a Tuesday? Well, it's a Monday night game. It's, it's a Monday I, night I game. Can't fly back after the game. Why not? Yeah, why Can not? Can we talk to them about the private jet? Then uh, Dion here yeah, essentially no, says no, he no, wants J Mac in the crowd just so that he can have like added motivation to be the to be the Jets. Come right over to you and just shake your hand and just like be like, see you soon. It, it should be a great game. I think it's ga- best game of the opening. I can't find that For damn sure. part, uh, uh, 10K. Either, I can't find it. Talk about it. I thought yeah. it was right there. Where the hell is not it? Just playing the command. I listened to this whole no, thing and never right. once felt like it was 20 <laughs> minutes long. Against them, but it's it's not a game against the NFC. It it's is your incom- division. Yeah, in division. Right, I'm gonna give it one more attempt. Here we go. Here we go. Third time's a charm. Uh, it looks like he led the NFL in. So here is just a, it's just it's just J Mac essentially rattling off everything that's wrong with the Bills and Dion's not gonna sit there and take that away. <laughs> It'll be a home game for us for sure. Well, go ahead, J Mac. Yeah, yeah, Dion, I was gonna say, um, yeah. I'm just looking at Josh I love that Allen, part too, by the way. Dion's like, it's gonna be a home game for us. Oh my year, God, that is that is a beautiful thing. That's a great thing for those guys that yeah. can get to the quarterback and still not catch a one. That is a lot. Can I and a quick Josh Allen question? Yeah. He uh, it looks like he led the NFL in red zone interceptions Ooh, last year with nine. You didn't need and to I'm bring just, that up. Well, I, here's my question: Like you banged Ooh. on the running game a lot, though, or lack thereof. Dude, well, it's not consistent yeah. it, because I think it's hard because Josh <laughs> is such a unique play. It's like Lamar Jackson, and people say, "Well, how?" Well, he's ad-libbing a lot of the run game. So he, you can go into a game and say, we're going to do this. And a lot of times, Josh will make a run. I love how Coward jumps in to try so to, like, like, it, it's try to like with the Steelers. pivot the like, question. A lot of Big Ben's greatest plays were off script. Right. So if you find teams that run the ball, by the way, effectively, Tennessee, because Tannehill doesn't give you a lot off script. Uh, Jared Goff, when he had Gurley, right. didn't give you a lot off script. So if you have a quarterback, the run game is centered around a singular running back like like McCaffrey, that was essentially it way. but if you noticed if you noticed <clears throat> like as soon as he asked that he didn't even give it he, colin stepped in didn't even give Dion a chance to answer it mainly because he's like oh god he's like this isn't gonna go well i gotta i gotta i gotta kind of navigate this back home a little bit oh good stuff all right wow two hours ten minutes in the books so glad, as always, you decided to spend it with uh, with me here on a Monday night on the Buffalo Fanatics YouTube channel. Really appreciate you guys coming out, as always. Good one tonight. We'll be back at it again next Monday night. We'll look forward to camp. That starts up awfully soon here, and we will finally have a bunch more actual on-field Buffalo Bills stuff to talk about, and that is what it's all about, and I cannot freaking wait to get into all of it eight weeks till kick what did i say 26 days till preseason nine days till camp it's almost here baby it is almost here i'll see you guys right back here next week same place same time as always until then enjoy the rest of your week and as always go bills